What's up, everybody? On this episode of the Boston Ski Party, we have Joe Johnson, the Alpine and Nordic Marketing Manager at Solomon North America. Joe has been involved in so many different levels of marketing in our industry, from his early days of sleeping in his office in Alta to being responsible for bringing, quote, game-changing products to market. We discuss the current level of success Solomon is having in all categories of hard goods and what it's been like to have such an awesome product like the Solomon Shift during the explosion of Alpine Touring. Joe has always been an awesome host when the TSM crew does our annual pilgrimage to Little Cottonwood Canyon. And his ability to get us early ups is something that we discuss throughout the year because of how epic it is to get early morning bluebird bangers without the crowds. Joe is fresh off getting married this summer, so we were super stoked that he was able to take the time and do the pod. Hope y'all enjoy the show. Holler. It is what it is, man. 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 It's cheap, too. All right, dude. So let's let's get into it, man. Um, I know you, and we all know you pretty well. And why don't you just tell us, you know, your current role and what, what you got going on at Solomon and how you got there? Yeah, that's, that's a, a good question. Um, my role at Solomon right now, um, I'm the head of Alpine Marketing in North America. Um, and it's been kind of a, a long kind of up and down kind of journey through the brand to get there. Uh, I've worked internally for Solomon for almost eight years now. And when I was initially hired, I was running the marketing for the outdoor category, uh, which is kind of like the hiking footwear um, Alpine, which I still do, Nordic, and then also I was still doing um, global community global community management for Solomon Free Ski, so like running the social media channels, working with athletes, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then over the years, as those categories grew respectively, you know, we were able to hire and like build a bigger team and offer more support in those individual categories. So we were able to hire somebody to run the outdoor marketing. Um, I was able to hire Jesse Ambrosia Jansen to, to run the community management on the global side. Uh, and then that allowed me to focus um, kind of on the Alpine side of the business, which is, is where my passion is. And then recently with the kind of the revamping of the Salmon apparel line, that's been added as well. So really focused on the snow season, obviously. And that's a combination of Alpine hard goods and snow apparel. And, and before, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure last time we, we discussed this, you you worked uh, marketing for agency prior to going full Solomon um, in house in house right is that correct? Correct. Yeah, the, I worked for an agency called Outside Media um, for almost four years before I um, before I got hired in house by Solomon. And Outside Media was a a small kind of boutique marketing and PR agency that that really kind of um, fought outside their weight class, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, it was super small. I think at the, at our biggest, we had seven employees maybe, but we had awesome clients. You know, we were working with Solomon, um, quite a few from the Amher portfolio, Solomon Suto, uh, Tordrillo Mountain Lodge, Life Straw, like a lot of big outdoor clients, um, Alta Ski Area kind of being the main ones. And um, it was, it was an awesome opportunity to, to get to work with some of those huge brands and, um, and that's eventually what led me to, to the role inside with Solomon. 
and, and you, you lived in Alta, um, right? Cause I, I cause every time we skied there, like you always pointed out, but like we're, we're usually meet. You had, you're like, yeah, I used to like, my office was like right here. And it's almost like unbelievable. You're like, no, it wasn't. You're yeah. like, yeah, dude, literally like that is like where I, I would like sleep on the floor right in there. <laughs> it's pretty fucking nuts. Cause it's like right on the hill. And like, that's kind of like, kind of like a wild thing to do. And most people would be like, I, I would kill someone for that job. Yeah, it was, it was definitely kind of that dream gig. Uh, you know, Hillary and Shane Hutchison hired me um, and my accounts right off the bat were Solomon and Altiskiria. And so I got this gig where, I got to split my time between Salt Lake where I had a house and I was here from essentially like end of September through the ski season. So like mid April. Uh, and then I would move up to Montana, which is where outside media was based for the summers. But, um, you know, for, for Alta, like it was, it was amazing. I graduated from the university of Alta, which is a, you know, spent my four years there, got the sweatshirt, got the hoodies, all that kind of stuff. It was, it was great. But like, you know, I got to, I had the opportunity to work with Connie Marshall, who you guys know, and she's a legend in the industry and yep. work with her and got to do some awesome campaigns, uh, work with the athlete team there, which obviously helped kind of grow the experience for when I started working with the Solomon athlete team. Um, and then like at the same time was, was juggling Solomon stuff and managing the PR in North America for, for the hard good side of the business. And so it was, it, it was, it was great to juggle it. It was even better to be doing it. Like I said, at the, at the office in Elta, it was this weird, um, like reimagined office space, if you will, it had a sink behind me for some reason. And then like cupboards and then I looked out, it had like, they had put in a desk and I looked out this window that opened up like a drive-through window and there was like stairs right there. So people would like walk up and they'd knock on my window, like, you know, tourists that were lost or like athletes who were coming by to go out and shoot or whatever. And they would just like knock on the window and I'd like open it up and could go out and shoot. Um, but then there was, there was just enough space. Like I could turn around. There was just enough space where I could like store a bunch of skis in the corner that we'd like take out for demos and stuff or photo shoots. And there was enough space to lay out a sleeping pad and, and sleep on the floor when, you know, the Canyon closed or went to the P dog and stayed a little too late, whatever it may be. But it was, it was a pretty awesome experience. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. It, it, and if anyone's familiar listening that <clears throat> where, where, where you're talking about, like tell them exactly like what chair you're looking at. So people yeah. can kind of put it together where you kind of like live most of the time. Yeah, so I mean, I would I would park my car in the in the Wildcat parking lot, and I would walk up right past the the main ticket office building and up the stairs in my office. When I sat down, I would be looking straight out at the Collins chair, and then if I like opened the window and stuck my head out, I could see the Wildcat chair. Um, so you know, in my opinion, two of the most <laughs> iconic chairs in the West. You know, definitely in Utah, probably in the yeah. West. Um, and it was, it was pretty, pretty awesome, surreal experience, I guess is the best way to put it. Is that, is that office currently occupied or is it, is it vacant? Do you, do you ever like knock on the window and see who's in there? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I would imagine that, <laughs> I would imagine that, uh, I know he, I know he will be this year. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine that somebody would take it cause it's, it's iconic, man. Like it's so perfect. You just sit there and like, wait for the the line to, to go away at Collins and then you can throw your stuff on and go hop, go hop on the chair. It's great. Um, dude. Yeah. It is, it is really cool. I, now I'm, now I'm curious when we go back, I want to, yeah. I want to knock on the window. Yep. We're going to knock on the window. Maybe there's a 
cardboard cutout of Joe just at a desk. <laughs> <laughs> it just says Facebook on it. <laughs> uh, dude, so, all right. So let's talk some, some product. Um, obviously, you guys have a ton of, you've done a, over the last, you know, last few years, a lot of really exciting stuff. New stuff's coming out. But before kind of getting into maybe boots or skis, and, and I want to talk real quick about the shift binding. And just because the, 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 the success of the shift, obviously, was insane, is insane. But obviously, you know, now the slowing of it and things are changing. But from the marketing side, you know, um, what Solomon was able to do, essentially, how they got consumers to look at a binding so differently from like its, 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 its use case and price. I mean, the marketing story behind that binding was well, how, insane. How about this? Like when you first saw the shift, like what was your, what was your reaction as a, a marketer of, yeah, you were going to market the shift. You saw like it kind of, you know, once it does its first like Optimus Prime <laughs> thing, like where it opens up and you're like, oh my God, what the fuck was that? Uh, what was your reaction? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on if you're. And, you're when, asking, and when did you see it? Yeah, that's that's the question. So it's it's a difference between when I saw the first final version and when I saw like the first proto version because those were very different um, and had very different reactions from people, as you as you can imagine. But <laughs> the, the proto process is one that is is not easy for any product, and when you make it about a product like the shift that has moving parts and, and new materials and new constructions and new ways of working, like it added a whole mix to it. But if we're talking specifically about when we finally got our hands on that final product and to your point, you like put up the toe lever and like, it was awesome. It, like as a marketer, your mind, it finally goes from that point of like, Oh yeah, we're going to have a new binding and we're going to be able to talk about it to be like, we are going to mess some shit up and it is going to be awesome. Like, and you, your wheels just start turning yeah. about how, what you're going to be able to do, how you're going to be able to do that, the, the opportunities and the options that are going to be presented, not only as a brand, but like to you from other people wanting to work with you in different ways because of that product. And there's not many products that have done that over the years, right? Like I, I would put the shift in kind of that class of, of I'm not going to say game changer because that's an overused word, but like it made a difference and it kind of changed the trajectory of, of how things were going at the time. I mean, yeah, it, I mean, it's a product that people came in and they, they said they wanted to buy it. And you know, to what you just said, that's very rare in our business for, for someone just to come in off the street and say, Hey, I'm here. I'm, I want to buy a Solomon shift. And not only do they want to buy it, they wanted to give you $600 for it. And not only that, they usually needed a ski or a new ski boot or a set of skins or all four things. And so like the average ticket for ski shops, in North America just exploded because of the shift binding. And it's crazy. Yeah. And I, th I think that's not, that's overused game changer for sure. But I think as far as bindings go, I mean, that was probably the most disruptive binding technology. And Oh dude, it affected ski and boot sales for everybody. And then you guys somehow timed it like right before COVID, which was pretty genius. <laughs> yeah. Nice job. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like how much different would, um, have ski purchasing really have been if the shift didn't exist? I mean, like, that's kind of wild to think about. No, yeah. it is. It is. And you know, and what went into the the market? What was going on in the in the, in the marketing meetings? Like, what were you guys fucking talking about? Like, like, what, like, what, what were you saying? Like, you guys convinced all of North America, the ski, the top level ski market in North America, 
to spend $600 on a binding. Like, how did that even... Oh, I know. You go from like 250 bucks essentially. Yeah. Yeah. 230 was the Griffin. Uh, maybe the Warden was 250 260 Like, you know what? Fuck that. 600 Yeah. <laughs> And it fucking worked. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, was there any was there any yeah. blowback on like initially? I mean, no, we're like deep into it now, and everyone's kind of used to it, which is even even better. But the initial push, like, hey, we're going to charge six six hundred six hundred fifty bucks. Like, what what was that conversation like? You know, honestly, I I, I think with every new product, there there's going to be that time where where you're going back and forth about the pricing and how you're going to position it, whatever. Um, but I think with the shift, it was one of those products that everybody was pretty aligned on what we what we had, right? And they were like, we have an opportunity to to change how this pricing structure even looks. And it's not, you know, you're essentially not just getting one binding, you're getting two bindings, if you think about it in that way. Um, and then at the same time, you know, a lot of brands talk about it being about being athlete driven and all this kind of stuff. And, and you know, we say that as a brand as well, but with the shift binding, I mean, that was truly an example of, of being an athlete driven product. Like that binding was first thought of on a mountain collective athlete meeting, uh, down in Lake Powell on a houseboat. Like that's, that's where that idea started. And then it like evolved and continued to evolve over the course of, I want to say seven years before it finally came to market. And so when you take all of that into account and all the different variations of the protos, the different materials that were tried and all that kind of stuff, like you get down to the pricing and, and everybody's kind of like, well, I think this is a good number. And there's not really going to be much discussion because you know everything that's went into it. You know what it's going to offer to the consumer and everybody's pretty much on the same page. Yeah. Uh, and then the second part of it is, I mean, was it discussed internally that like, you know, the, the downstream effect of like what this binding is going to do to the average ticket? I mean, because initially I, that's not something that I would think of right away. You're, you're kind of wrapped up in the project. You think you can make something really cool. The use case is great. It's going to be a game changer, right? Overused game changer. But the reality is just to use it, just to use it for what it's built for. Like there's all these other costs associated with that, that people just decided to spend on. And it, it was really the binding that was the facilitator. Is that just a happy coincidence? <laughs> I, I, I think it's to say that we didn't think about that. And, you know, if you've seen most of the products that have come out since then, like, you know, with the evolution of the QST line, Boots, some of the other products that we're offering, they all kind of dovetail off of that, right? And so um, I don't think it was the initial thought process, but once we got rolling with the shift, it, it's a logical step for a consumer to make, right? Like, Hey, I have this awesome binding that allows is going to allow me to ski in a certain way. I'm going to buy that binding. Like, Oh shit. Now, like I should probably get a different ski. Oh, this is going to allow me to do this. Maybe like, instead of a Alpine pole, I need a backcountry pole. Now, next thing you know, they're getting backpacks. They got to get the Abbey equipment. Like, it goes on and on outside of even equipment that we make oh, yeah. as a brand. Like we don't make any of the Abbey equipment stuff, but like my guess, and I don't have the research to back this up, but my guess would be like they benefited just as much from, from kind of the backcountry growth that it started from the shift. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think so. Uh, and, and something that, you know, we talk about internally here, at least the first year, I mean, not so much anymore because people kind of know what they're getting their, themselves into, but a lot of times like you do a, a boot binding ski sale. Oh, I want to buy the shift. They don't even know why, which is great. And then you're like, okay, you got to add skins. <clears throat> you know, they're $189, 200 bucks. Like, oh, 
I'll just get those later. And you're like, okay, <laughs> okay, no, no problem. But like, that was again, another thing, like an extra 200 ish dollars at the point of purchase that, you know, people weren't necessarily, you know, committed to, to buying, but yet for whatever reason, you know, that binding is something that they felt like they needed to have, which was kudos to you guys. Cause it, it really was. Well, that's, uh, and that's another reason why it ended up being something special because people were willing to shell out $600 on that binding and Joe, you know this, everybody in here knows this, like majority of people are never putting that in walk mode. Right. You know, <laughs> but it's the, it's that aspirate, it's the aspirational effect of like, well, you know, I have the ability to do this and okay, I, I don't have the right boot. I don't have skins. I might not have the right ski, but I've got this binding that someday will allow me to do that. Well, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like Eric with his pickup truck. He's never towing anything. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. He I, could. I can. <laughs> I can yeah, tell something. Good. Yeah, I aspire to tell a boat behind that. I can tell fourteen thousand pounds. I mean, but, uh, but who's counting? Who's counting? <clears throat> well, I mean, if our industry as a whole could could come up with something like the shift, like yeah. every other year or even uh, whenever, if they could just come up with something like that, I think the winter sports industry obviously would be a much more fruitful fruitful place because yeah. it's it was a game changer binding again <laughs> using the word, but it, it really was and and. Um, we benefited directly from it. And I know a lot of other people the, did too. The whole industry did. Yeah. And I think Which like, is a great segue to uh, when's the second version coming out. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Come on guys. Uh, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that's, that's a great question. But I did, I did want to like say one thing about kind of like how the groundswell of the, of the shift started. Like, I think it was an awesome example and it was awesome to be a part of like, the launch of it, right? Like it was probably, we still use it as an example internally of how to correctly launch a product. And it doesn't work for every product. And I think that's the struggle that you run into as a brand. You're like, oh, I work for the shift. It'll work for this and it'll have the same effect. And it's like, not really. But it's a great example of like the execution of everything from the product itself to the athlete involvement behind it, the assets. I mean, we did like a launch event up at Alta with with media and it was, you know, three, four days of skiing, guided touring, like all this kind of stuff. It was, it was fantastic. And then even the follow-up from the sell-in to the sell-through with retailers like you guys, making sure the training assets were on point, you know, like, did we nail everything? No. Um, but like overall as a plan, like it came together super well. So. So, so how was that different with the shift binding than it was, say launching a, a new QST ski or, you know, some of the new boots that you've launched? Yeah, I think um, with new QST skis, it's a little different because the collection has been around for a little bit and you're not necessarily like, I mean, we haven't necessarily created new molds in a little bit, you know, we're changing up the construction. We're sticking with that same profile and shape that people know and love. Um, so there's not like that new story that's like really going to allow us to kind of blow the roof off of the place. Um, I do think moving forward, we're going to have that opportunity with some products on the boot side and the binding side. Um, but you know, on the, and on the ski side, but again, I go back to a comment I said earlier, there are very few products that come out, you know, over the course of history in the ski industry that, that really pack a punch like the shift did. And then you guys could probably name like 10 of them off the top of your head or whatever, five to 10 products that have had that impact on the industry. You know, and everybody's shooting to have the next one. And so will we have the next one? I don't know, but we've got some cool ones coming down the pipeline that we're going to, you know, give our best shot at blowing the roof off. That's for sure. So speaking of blowing the roof off, what's it like having Solomon Boots? I think arguably 
you guys are number one in ski boot us globally maybe you would know better than me um globally yeah you guys are a big fucking deal in boots yes for sure um and like how scary is it trying to one maintain that make sure you don't fuck it up one up yourself in boots and then you know bindings are pretty incredible but then you kind of have skis which it's fair to say skis are not at the same level as your boot volume. I mean, you guys sell way more boots than you do Mm -hmm. skis. And like, how do you get skis up to that without like ruining your boot brand or how do we maintain a boot? Like you have three pretty big categories. I mean, it's a lot to kind of juggle, you know? Yeah. I think, I think that's the beauty and the beast of, of being a company as huge as Solomon. Right. Um, And I, I don't think people actually kind of, for the most part, comprehend everything that we're doing. You know, not only is it boots, binding skis, like you were talking about, but it's poles, it's apparel, it's helmets, it's goggles. um, And then obviously like the footwear side of the business. So if you think about it from like that overarching brand perspective, like it's a, it's a puzzle every year, every season to like figure out where the investments are going, how those investments are going to impact the bottom line, you know, how you're continuing momentum without sacrificing losing momentum in a different zone um to to go back to your original part of that question boots are always going to be our bread and butter right like that's that's going to be the focus for us every season we're going to have like a boot story that we're going to go on bindings is our heritage you know we feel like with the shift in the bag moving forward kind of evolving the stride line of bindings we have we have like a good foothold there and we'll continue to evolve and innovate as we can there. I think skis to your point is, is a place where we have a lot of opportunity um, to, to grow, but you know, it's, it's all about finding those right models that fit for the consumers. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a different beast when you're talking about North America versus EMEA as an example, or France as an example. And like, you know, being based in France and like being in these rooms for, seasonal planning meetings where you're arguing over whether we should invest in QST or invest in a piece ski. And it's just like, what? No, we shouldn't invest in a piece ski. We should definitely do QST, but it's that's and every ski company who's based in Europe can relate to that. Like that's, that's just how it goes. But um, I think boot to go back again to that point, boots is boots is our bread and butter. Um, You know, we'll always continue to innovate for this year, obviously with the S pro super boa, you guys already have it up on the wall. Um, you know, that boot is the evolution of our number of the number one selling line of boots in the world, the S pro. And so just continuing to grow that. And then we have stuff coming down the line in fall winter 24. That's, that's going to be super sick. So how scary is that? Like you just said how, you know, S pro is the number one boot line in the world. Um, the mid volume, mid volume, crazy is that kind of (laughs) like how crazy is it replacing that? Like how scary does that feel like to all of you guys internally at Solomon? I mean, you're kind of, you're, you're messing with like a clearly good thing. Yeah. I mean, I I think decisions like that are always going to be scary. And, you know, there's the sayings, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But to your point earlier, if you're not continuing to innovate and like change things and grow things and evolve the line, eventually it's just natural consumer behavior for people to move on and find something new and fresh. And that's, that's the struggle, right? With mm-hmm. every ski brand runs up against it, every technology brand, every you know sneaker brand, whatever. If you just stick with the same thing and don't change and evolve, 
um, then you're going to lose consumers left and right. And so I think when you look at the the escrow, there's been multiple evolutions of that boot over the past five years. And naturally, the this one with the addition of BOA is probably the biggest change. Um, but the basis of what makes that boot special, that last that we built it on the 100 millimeter last and completely redoing the construction to work with BOA, we think like kind of hedges those bets, right? It makes us not as nervous because we know we know that last, we know how to make it good. We know all the components that make a boot work well. And then adding BOA to that mix in a way that makes sense overall for the consumer is, you know, well, it is a little bit scary always to like revamp a, a really successful model. Um, I think everybody feels good about the Supra for sure. And what do you, what do you think about the BOA? I mean, honestly, I mean, my personal take on it, I, I think it's really cool. I, I like it. I think, again, to your point about innovating and continuing to kind of push the envelope, it does that. But obviously, you know, you're going to get mixed reviews anytime there's a new-ish product, especially when you're messing with ski boots. There's a lot of old-timers out there yeah. that are afraid of, of a dial. So what's your what, what's your personal take on it? Like, how do you feel about it? Um, I feel good about it, honestly. Like, I think Bo is great. I think it was a much-needed kind of, like, next step in the boot world. Um, I'm not a Supra skier. I'm a low volume kind of guy for sure. Um, but I did do the testing just to like be a part of that process. And like the comparison between, you know, benchmarking with competitive brands and how the bow works compared to a four buckle model, whatever. And like, it's amazing in a boot that's not made for the type of foot that I have, how that allows you to like cinch it down more of a wrapping as opposed to a clamping and like actually allows you to ski as opposed to swimming in the boot. Like it's, it's pretty incredible. And for somebody whose foot is made for that boot, like it's just going to make it that much easier to get somebody in there, have them enjoying themselves and then experience that fit performance kind of balance that, that the boot offers. And from an, like a name side of things, because while I'm thinking about it, cause you just said it a bunch of times, like how the alpha and Supra, I yeah. mean, you guys Jesus. fucking crushed it with those. How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> Who came up with it? I didn't come up with it. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should have just told me. <laughs> you guys have probably had it protect, pr- protected for years and years. Uh, you know, Solomon's well known for, for protecting a lot of good names. Honestly, naming products yeah, is like, I don't, I don't think a lot of people know this, but it's such a hard thing to do from a legal standpoint, yeah. from making sure that you're not like overlapping with not only other brands within your industry, but like products outside of your industry. It's really difficult. Like, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, man. You got to like be super creative, like make sure all your ducks are in a row, dot your eyes, cross your T's. Like it's pretty wild. Well, I think that's part of why, you know, us in this room have some knowledge of how difficult that is. And for those names, for you guys to actually get those names is insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I know we gla- glazed over Espro uh, a little bit, but, you know, saying that, that was the best-selling, you know, category of boots in the world for a long time. I think it also that was another disruptive boot when it launched. I mean, it's probably been ten years, but about ten years, yeah. Um, you know, at that time, everybody's one hundred millimeter lasted boot is you know what people think of probably a ninety-seven, ninety-eight today. So, you know, looking back and seeing what Solomon did, uh, you know, again that was. I hate to keep saying it, but but game changer. It literally forced majority of other boot manufacturers to change the shape 
of their boots and the width of their boots, mm -hmm. you know? So I think, um, there's a reason that boot was the best selling boot in the world for a long time. And then it also forced other brands to adapt to what Solomon had come out with for technology. So it was like, again, another one of those technologies that yes. And it's, it comes down to a last width and the shape of the foot and the, and the boot, but you know, you guys changed that part of, you know, boot manufacturing at that time and everybody else was chasing you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, to your point, it's a, well, guess, it's obviously like a part of, of like seeing a gap in the industry, but then also continuing to build on it and grow it, you know, and like adding custom shell HD to the process or custom shell and then custom shell HD to the process, figuring out new technologies that you can add to it that allow you as retailers to, to essentially like make money off of the product, whether it's through that custom shell process or whether that's, you know, through the difference in the, the average selling price, whatever it is, you know, it's, um, in the end, like, I think part of what allows us to like have these awesome products is, is working with retailers like yourselves who are on the ground, fitting boots with the people like at the resorts, knowing what we need and, and, and then listening. And that that's, that's in the end, like what sets some brands apart from others is that ability to listen, adapt, evolve, and then produce something that makes sense. And, you know, like on the, on the boot side, for sure, you guys are being chased Binding wise with shift, you guys are so far in the distance. No one's going to catch you there. I mean, the Duke, that was kind of laughable, I guess. Um, it, was it was panic. It was, <laughs> they were panicked. They came out with it first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah they yeah. were panicked. Yeah. Um, but on the ski side, who, um, who do you uh, look up to or admire brand wise on uh, the ski hard good side? Who do you think is really doing a good job out there? from marketing to product to whatever, or even certain aspects? Yeah, from a, from a product side, um, I would say I've, I've always had a lot of respect um, for the way Blizzard has approached making skis. Um, you know, when they were one of the first companies I had a relationship when I started, a relationship with when I started working in the resort side of the business, Connor Brown was the rep, or still is the rep here in Utah. Um, and kind of like how they've evolved their ski making from like those original Kochi skis to, to the wrestler series and everything they're doing right now, I think is pretty good. And when you look at, um, you know, you go from the product side to the marketing side, just really quickly, like the assets that they deliver and create about the construction of the ski and what it allows you to do. Like, I think all that stuff is super on point. Um, and then I, I guess like another one I would say is, you know, atomic and, um, you know, there, I think theirs is, is mainly from like the marketing perspective, but like what they're, what they've been able to do from a longevity side of things with the Ben Shetler line and, and how they have kind of continued to grow and evolve it is pretty cool. And I mean, I, like, I have a connection to that brand. I worked with them for a couple of years and it was, it was awesome. But I, I do think like from a heritage perspective and, and how they continue to kind of like push the design like the the graphic and the visuals and the marketing assets and then utilizing athletes to push that message the partnerships that they have i think that's that's pretty cool so kind of a two-part question on what you just said <laughs> two different things the first one is have you skied the new rustler 9 rustler 10 because if you haven't you should they're freaking awesome and second part is do you do you think that atomic would have ever thought they would be selling as many bench other 100s as they've sold in the last two years. I mean, cause it, the numbers are staggering. Um, one, no, I haven't skied. 
the new one, the new wrestler nine or 10. Um, and I don't think anybody could imagine, you know, hitting, (laughs) hitting the units that they're hitting. Um, so yeah. I mean, it's a, it's another, it's funny. Cause I mean, you, you can compare it to shift to a certain degree. It's not as like, you know, revolutionary or whatever, but it is another product that helps us as a retailer. When someone comes in and they say they want to buy a Ben Chetler 100, you know, you, there's no conversation. The conversation has been had between the, between the brand and the, in the, in the consumer. Same, same thing happened with shift, right? You talk to all these people, however you talk to mm-hmm. them. Right. And they came into ski monster and say, I want to buy a shift. That's incredible. Because that, that's, that's really hard to do in our business. So anytime, again, someone can do that, it makes the retailer's life pretty freaking awesome. Because it's like, yeah, I got it right here. You know, what, what length, you know? Versus like, oh, I'm here for new skis. Well, what's the reason for new skis? And it's an hour-long conversation, which is fine, which is what we do every day. But for someone to come in and say, I want a bench at 100 and shift, you're like, sick. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, we, we have both. Right over here. <laughs> and, it, and, it's, and it's not like that's like a crazy revolutionary product. It's not no. like, you know, a groundbreaking binding technology or, or, you know, changing the shape of a boot. Like it's a pretty normally built ski, but, you know, they launched it at a killer price point. And I think that probably got a lot of sales off the bat. And then people realized it was a, a good ski, a fun ski and seeing more and more of them. And now they're just selling a jillion of them. Yeah. And everyone's kind of trying to fill that kind of that same. Well, that, I guess that, that same. I, I guess that's what they did. They they filled a gap at that time. Yeah, I think in the in the market with a waste width and a price point. So, yeah, re- the name and the graphic, and right. Like you know, everyone was moving away from a lot of twin tip stuff, and that was kind of neglected. You just had, you know, kind of Armada with ARVs. You had Chronics, the Tom Walsh's stuff like that, and then. Hey, here's this thing that's a little more all mountain friendly, named after this powder ski that you've always wanted, but you never got because you're never going to use this. Ski. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and it's got a sick graphic, yeah. and, and it's four ninety nine. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, new ski for you guys this year is the stance. You know, same name of course, but new ski. And you know, we had touched on it a little earlier with QST, and this is a, a kind of like a from a marketing side of the house type of question because like the new stance, I've skied on it a bunch. Everyone here has. It's, in my opinion, I think it's significantly better. I think it skis better at lower speeds. I think it touches a, a much wider demographic of skiers. I think so many more people can get on it and be like, oh man, this is, this is a lot of fun. It looks really, the graphic's great. It skis well. I'm having, I'm having a blast. Now, you know, the, I guess the question is like, and this isn't the first time any brand has ever done this, but somebody that does this for a profession, like you basically, how do you transition, you know, conveying the message of, or transition a, a ski, right? And convey the message that this is, different and better. Yes, it's the same name. Yes, there's still some old ones out there, but you should either buy this for the first time or maybe buy it again because you have the old one. Like, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not an easy process, right? Because to your point, like, it's that name connection between the two different, completely different lines now, same name that that triggers that emotional reaction or the purchase reaction with the consumer. So, when we launched the original stance collection, it was kind of, I mean, it was really tough because we launched it like right before COVID. Like we were doing the photo shoot for the original stance collection at Snow Basin. The day we finished the shoot, the resort closed due to COVID. Like we were in the lodge and they were like, wow, everybody out, like you gotta go. And so to launch a resort ski at that time, obviously was not ideal. 
Um, and then I think the other thing about that Stan. Was shit timing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was fucking awful timing. <laughs> You're not kidding. Dude, so the stars align for some of these other products you did. Yeah. You got absolutely fucked on that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least you had the shift to kind of hedge some stuff. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing is like, we, when, as we like planned how we were going to market it, like we positioned it as this like all resort charger, crafted to charge, really targeting that like X racer style, like really fall line, laying the ski over on edge. And like, that's fantastic. Um, and I think like from a all mountain front side point of view, like you always want to have that consumer in mind. But I think it when, when you look at it, like I think the vast majority of people, the vast majority of consumers who are buying skis, like might not relate as much to that, like charge mentality, right? Like it's more about like having fun and like being playful and stuff like that. And so with the revamp of, of the stance line for fall winter 23, you kind of see that adjustment in everything from the visual representation, which I know we worked with you guys on to, to the actual construction. So we still have like the, 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 twin metal laminate construction, um, changed up the core. So it's a poplar and Karuga wood core as opposed to just a poplar core. And then added some, um, some cutouts in the top sheet of TI to kind of like loosen it up and not lock it in so much. So the, I think it just like, it helps get away from that like charge mentality and more towards like that high performance, playful, fun, idea and i think that that it, you feel that when you're skiing it from the 102 all the way down to the 90 like there's there's a lot of difference there from from the original stance collection and and just like you said like i'm i'm a big fan of it like i love the stance 90 in the original one and i think that that one honestly like they're pretty close but like the 102 i love the new 102 a lot more i think the 96 is on point um in this new collection and they're super fun yeah, and, and just easier to ski. I mean, you can still get it up at a high en- edge angle and, and, and rip it, but, like, overall, the skis ski, I think, much better, you know, at lower speeds. It, it, it's, it's, it's awesome. They do. I mean, I never, com- I never had any issues or complaints with the original stances. I didn't think that was too much ski or anything, but um, the new ones are definitely more accessible at low speeds, which we can notice on some of the, the very few low-angle runs we did at uh, – Alta, not that there's much low angle there, but going slower, you know, you could really notice and that it's a major improvement in the new stance. And when we're still on skis, while we're still on skis, I, I have to ask you this because we, I, I talk about it a lot just from the nuances of, of testing all this other, all this stuff. And, and maybe it's just me. I mean, there's other people that agree with me, but I'm curious to what your opinion is. So the, the QST 92, I really, that's probably one of my favorite skis you guys make right now. I could ski that ski all the time. Most of the time I could ski it and be like, this thing is awesome, right? Insanely versatile, easy to ski, super fun. I, I, I really enjoy it. The QSD 106, I enjoy it for what it's built for. It, it's, it's an awesome ski. But the 98, and it's probably your bigger unit of skis, I don't understand like what gets lost in translation between the 92 and the 106. And the 98 to me just feels like it doesn't belong there. I, I, I mean... It, I, it could just be me. I don't know. It's not saying it's bad. It's just not. I would ski the ninety two over the ninety eight every day. Uh, I would. I would agree with you, honestly. Like I, nice. I've said this before. Nice. I'll say it every damn day. Chris McKieran knows it. Lauren Samuels knows it. I think the QST ninety two is like the most <laughs> underrated ski that we make, and 
from a price point perspective, I mean, there's more packed in that ski than you're going to find inside, you know, the Bent 100, as an example, from like a construction materials point of view, like there's more technology in there. And like the price point is fantastic. It has, I mean, it has cross country appeal from like East Coast ice out to the West Coast. Like you can, you can ski or whatever. Um, the 98, like, yeah, you're right. We do a lot of units in the 98. And I think there is a skier where that works super well for them, right? Like, I think it's it's more of an, in, like, the 98 to me is really all about personality and, and, and feel. Um, and apparently there's a lot of people that love that ski, but I'm, I'm very similar to you in, in the fact that, like, I go from that 92, which I really love, but the 106 is, like, that's, like, near and dear to my heart and it's my everyday jam out here um in utah so yeah i'm, I'm glad dude that makes me feel good i'm like i'm gonna ask joe he's probably gonna tell me i'm a fucking idiot i'm just gonna ask him because because that's just how i feel like every time i get on the 98 i'm like i i okay but it's not i don't know it just it just gets lost to me anyway so but, I'm, I'm glad we agree but that's also kind of cool too you've got they're all qst skis and yes they have similar technologies but you know, just goes to show that, you know, the 92, the 98 and 106 aren't just the same exact skis with wider waist widths. They're, they're, they're definitely different animals. They have different feels, you know, Joe, like you said, that 92 can really go East coast to West coast, you know, and, and honestly span a bunch of skier abilities too. So, um, I mean, even you spent a ton of time on 106 and, uh, blank at free skier. Jackson, yeah. Yep. A lot of 106 and blank time. Yep. 106 is great. I got a lot of good photos on that one. Yep. It was a good photographer. Mostly it's just a photographer. We had some epic snow, too. So oh, yeah. Helped. Well, and also, too, like, I got to say, I mean, thank you very much for, for always getting getting us early ups at Alta because those that like have changed, they'll change the way I, I view at ski resorts. I'm like, we can just do this and just be done. Like, this is great. This <laughs> <laughs> is really just rip four groomers. No one else there. All right, guys, like just let's go to the bar. Well, it's- I really like when you get off. Cause like you always make it work out. So like the sun is out, like right when we get to the top, which is nice. Yeah, he orders it up. He orders yeah. the sun. Th- thanks for that. <laughs> well, well th- this year was a little different because normally Joe is with us and like, yeah. obviously he has those Alta connections. And I just remember seeing Lauren's face this year when they're like, I forget you were busy. McKeeran couldn't come. And you were just like, all right, Lauren, take these guys up. And she was like, what? Like, <laughs> and we, yeah. And we, unchaperoned. And then we, we go down and we get to go on another lift. And like the, the guy was so confused. Yeah. The lift, he's like, uh, yeah, you guys can't be here. We're like, well, and, Lauren we just goes, skied Joe, down. She just goes, Joe Johnson. And the guy was like, what? And we just got, we just got right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, no, that is, that is, that, that's, that's pretty special though. Cause it's also, I think the, the two runs that we get before the resort is actually open to the public is, I mean, the last few years has been some of the best content and Im- images we've got. It's, it's, insane like you said and you've ordered up the sun every time which has been nice well that one that one little that one little knoll well there's a bunch but that one knoll that's under the under the lift yep hard left footer skiers right yep 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 and then you like you're you're kind of down and you shoot up at it and i think we've got so many photos bangers yeah Yeah. so many so thank you joe anytime i mean that's like honestly from my time at alta working there that's one of the things that i miss the most is like having the opportunity to go up early, like get out, get some shots, 
you know, you might piss off some people who are sitting in line early on a powder day, but like, it's totally worth it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It's totally and, worth it. And mind you, it's not like we're going up there and, you know, skiing fresh pow before anybody gets to it. I mean, fresh cord. Maybe. Yeah. Which honestly is just as good, just but, as good. um, man, yeah, close. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Fresh pal is pretty dope, but uh, but yeah, it is close, especially at Alta. But yeah, that's you know, it's it's interesting to to have that ability to go up there and and get that content when there's not a bunch of people around. And mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you definitely feel like there's some people that you're making mad by that second run, and people are getting on the lift. They're like, dude, how did the how is there how is there eight tracks already? Mm-hmm. Like up, this is crazy, up, dude. <laughs> Stanson. Yeah. Oh, dude, I don't think we, I don't think we asked. What was your first project at Solomon? Like your first product launch or first product line you were a part of? You felt like you had your hands in it. Yeah. You had, you had some, you had some input. Um, my first one that I was like really involved with was actually the launch of the original QST. Um, and that was, that was actually when I was still working for outside media. And I remember we did like the press, like the big media launch at Alta had the, you know, free skier powder outside ski. Everybody was there. It's actually the event where John Clary Davies, who was the editor of powder at the time and his now wife, Axie Navis met that that was at that event at the top of high. So like Solomon's the reason they're married. Um, that's all it's, it's cool, but the, <laughs> no big deal. the first event internally that really like had my, my fingerprints on it, I guess was the shift launch. Um, and like, you know, everything from being a part of the process leading up to when it actually came to market and then the actual launch of it, you know, the media event we did, um, working with the athletes, uh, Sam coffee at the time was our PR guy, which was phenomenal. And, and, you know, it was, it was such a cool experience from the product to the people, to the, to the final launch is super fun. Do you think, do you think Davies and Axie would be married today if it was the BBR launch? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> was the BBR before your time? Yes or no? It was. I was working, yes. I was working at, I was working at Cam. Funny how everyone at Solomon says <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> No, but here's, here's, I mean, how does that even happen? Here's the funny part is I was working, I was working at Canyons resort in the marketing department when the BBR was launched and they did that like massive, um, like nationwide demo tour. You guys probably remember this and they came through and they did a demo in the Canyons village. And I remember like I went out and skied the BBR and, you know, took one run on her and dropped her back off and went back to my office. But (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> got back on my blizzard answers <laughs> but uh oh did you have an answer did you did you ski on the blizzard answer that ski was awesome i did i had an answer and then i had a coaches nice. and then i switched uh to solomon after that but nice i mean how do you i mean talk about like polar opposites you have the bbr and then you have like the best selling boots or you have like the shift how does that even happen like talk about a pendulum swinging yeah. from the absolute, like one of the most embarrassing skis to ever come out to like some of the dopest shit. Yeah. And like, honestly, and then like even like the recovery from that. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, that's kind of amazing. Yeah. Honestly, like I love having this conversation because 
I mean, yeah, the ski didn't hit for sure. Um, I think for a variety of reasons. Um, I actually think like the the variations of it that came later, like the 10.0 or what like should have launched before. Not saying that that would have like changed, changed the result. But um, the other thing is like, I think the BBR like speaks to what Solomon's like willing to try, right? And it's very similar to what we did with the shift. There was nothing else like the shift out there at the time. And we're like, let's go for it. This is going to cost a ton of money. We're going to make a ton of investment in it. But like, we think we got something here. And it was the same thing with the BBR, right? Like we had a guy designing it who had been there for years and had had a ton of hits. And like, they came up with this shape and they're like, let's go for it. Like nobody else is doing this. Let's see if it hits. And, you know, I think like, regardless of whether it hit or not, I think you have to have that in the industry or else everything's just going to stay the same. And there's just going to be small changes that aren't really going to do anything. Um, and then you guys got to admit, like you're starting to see that pin tip or the pin tail show up now in some skis, you know, it's not combined with that bright blue color, but like, it's pretty wild. You're starting to see it and nobody's saying anything, but you know, it's there. (laughs) What did BBR stand for? Big bad radius. What was it? I mean, that's a pretty good guess. I don't even know. I don't know. We could probably, if we find the guy at Chick-fil-A that designed it, we could probably <laughs> we could ask him. <laughs> what, did, what did BBR... What did I'm, that, looking up, I'm looking it up right now. What did BBR replace? That didn't replace something dope like Extreme, did it? No. No, like, no Tornado. No, no, no. It was like, wasn't it Tornado? Tornado TI? Well, I, th- did, I think it was just something completely new. But It was just a new addition to the line. It didn't replace yeah. something. Yeah. But again, I mean, obviously it's really, it's really easy to poke fun at, but like, you know, and we did that because we just talked about all the really good innovative stuff that you guys have done, but, and not, not all those ideas are going to hit, but kudos to you guys for taking that chance. It was just like, it happened to be in between like X scream 1080 and S pro boots, like right in the middle of two huge successes. There was this, there was this failure. Um, but, and it's also interesting, you know, George, George made the joke, but like, we know a lot of people that have worked at Solomon over the years. And, you know, literally as soon as you mentioned BBR, every single person, Oh no, I wasn't there then. Wasn't there. Nope. That wasn't my project. Yeah, no. <laughs> just like no, deny, de- deny, deny. No, it had BBR had its own department. I was, I was ex pro. <laughs> oh, There's gotta be like a, like a safe at Solomon that has like the files BBR and like all the names that are associated with it. It's just like locked up. And they're like, we have these people fucking buy. Yeah. We got them. I worked with one that was involved. You guys know he was that. in the safe. His name was in the yeah. safe. <laughs> oh, well, Joe, dude, um, this has been fun, man. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to ask you. Well, he he did sneak a little uh, preview of what's. I know you can't tell us what's coming down the line, but it sounds like you're pretty excited about some non BBR stuff that's launching. Yeah, for Fall Winter 24. Um, Definitely non-BBR. You know, we can we can put that back in that safe that Eric was just talking about. Uh, but you know, I think I think part of the reason that I'm excited about the stuff moving forward is is not just because of the product, but it's it's who it's the group that's involved in kind of the evolution of this product. You know, everybody from the designers to to the athletes and the evolution of our athlete team with the new junior program. Um, the whole vibe 
feel direction of the Alpine category is something that's going to change and, and evolve like in real time. And I think you guys are already starting to see that from, from the peaks that you've gotten and um, consumers are going to start seeing it real quick. But um, I think that's what gets me stoked because it's, it's going to change stuff that we've, that we haven't historically made big changes with. It's pushing us to change because the needs of the athletes and the needs of the consumers are changing and we're listening, we're hearing. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. Like there's, you know, a new boot that's going to make some waves. Um, the QST line is going to continue to evolve. Um, there's, there's quite a few things. And to your point, like I would get fired if I, if I said too much, so I'm trying not to get fired, but, um, it is exciting. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the one thing that I would say that, that ties into that from the athlete perspective that we're super psyched on is, is the junior mountain collective and like our, like our junior group of athletes and how they're connecting with our global athletes and the mentorship that's happening there. Everybody from, you know, Cody Townsend mentoring to Alexi Gobboot and Stan Ray. Um, we had the kids from Jackson that went and shot with Blank Collective this year. Um, and so it's, it's really just kind of completely retooling how, how we function as a brand and a category, everything from the content we produce all the way up to the product. Um, and you'll see a lot of that this year on the, on the film tour, on the quality ski time film tour, which will be super cool. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I, I was kind of kidding about, you know, spilling the beans, but I think when, when we all left Utah this year specifically, I think, you know, obviously we have a peek behind the curtain on what some of those upcoming projects are and, um, but meeting the whole team and meeting some of the global team and sitting down with you guys and spending time with you guys, obviously skiing with you guys. Um, I mean, we left there and we could just feel like how excited you guys were about this stuff that's coming down the pipeline versus not that you weren't excited in the past, but um, I don't know. Just it just felt different. Like we, we left there and we're like, all right, yeah. th these guys, these guys are pumped about yeah, what's it felt coming. more like you. Like, yeah, we're, we're good with the traction we have. We're happy with the direction we're going and we're excited about what's happening and um, all that. That you, was, you that was feel, cool to see. Yeah. And you could feel the excitement in the products too. You know, mm -hmm. it, that was, that was rad. That was rad. That was a good, that was a nice, I mean, a hell of a place to have a meeting. Jesus. Yeah, it was. <laughs> the yeah. On a little balcony. Yeah. The porch <laughs> of the snow pine. Must be nice. That was good. Yeah. Porch yeah. of the snow pine. That yeah. place pretty is good. awesome. I love it there. Yeah. Yeah. I sleep way better in Snowbird, though. I need, like, to get, like, a 400 feet lower. <laughs> <laughs> I was so... <laughs> I was so hungover that first morning. Then we go to meet Val at Atomic down at Snowbird and, like, hangover gone. It's like I just had some hair of the dog, which I didn't, but felt like I did. And I'm like, dude, we're ready to rock, baby. Let's go. 7,800 feet never felt so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just I just like the... I just like the, the that restaurant and then like the hot tub set up there. I mean, it's hard to beat that. Yeah. yeah. So we've stayed a lot of like, we've stayed a lot of nice places and, but that, that is hard to beat. Snow pine is freaking sick. Yeah. Yeah. It is sick. It's worth me like, uh, you know, drinking, um, five gallons of water at night and going to the bathroom every 15 minutes and just to stay there. Hangover. Oh yeah. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. The funny thing about snow pine, snow pine, ah, the hangover, the hangover is the best. The funny thing about snow pine is that it used to be the worst lodge at Alta like the oldest. So like all the other ones renovated before, you know, like except for GMD and P dog, like they, they'll never renovate and that's totally fine. Um, <laughs> but you had like the Alta Lodge that renovated a little bit and, uh, and then the snow pine, it used to have like, they would add on 
like just weird random sections. And so you would have these hallways that would just like have, you know, pieces from the original foundation. There'd be these rocks and stuff. And it was, it was such a weird little spot. And then they, they just came in and totally retooled it. And it's, it's gorgeous. It's the best place to stay in the Canyon. As far I mean, as I'm it's concerned. really like, yeah. it's really like the Solomon BBR comeback story. Really? <laughs> <laughs> We'll cut that part out. <laughs> no, I mean, because in the just because I'm still thinking about it real quick, the the foundation there in the spa, right? Isn't that like the story when you go into the spa? Mm-hmm. I I just did like a quick little walk around, and and then I think McCarran was the one that told me that like that is that's the original building, and they just like turned it into like a waterfall, which is fucking yeah. cool. So, all right, Snowpine, let's go back. Yeah, Joe. Dude, good to see you, man. Are you going to be on the East Coast at all this year for like a quick little lap? Or what's your schedule? Movie tour? Yeah, I'll be out for the movie tour. Um, we will be in your neck of the woods around November 17th. And then probably for cool. like sticking around um, for the Snowbound show. So, yeah. And hopefully like tagging along with McKeeran and Lauren Samuels for some of those cool product meetings that you guys all get to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hell yeah well when you're give us give us a couple weeks uh notice so we can make a reservation and go eat some more dope yeah, yeah. now we're talking <laughs> yeah we're talking. <laughs> and we can do another we can do another episode too whether it's with you or mckieran if you guys have time you could do it in studio it's way more fun sweet sounds good to me have like a sam adams right. or something while you're doing it absolutely you can have whatever you want there's no <laughs> or, there's no, 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 no rules no, here no, bring some of those beers that you uh you post on uh Twitter all the time. Uh, yeah. you, we have them when we go to Alta. What's it called? What's that brewery called? Templin Family. Something Family? Yeah. Templin Family. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they made our Solomon. Yeah. I don't beer. think, I mean, oh, that's right. Although when McKieran comes back here, he only drinks Vermont beers. So it's mm. true. Well, we can get him some. It's not a big yep. deal. Yeah. Yep. It's not a big deal. All right. We'll have some Vermont beers waiting for McKieran when he gets here. Sweet. Awesome. <laughs> All, All right, right, Joe. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Joe. We'll talk guys. soon. Peace. See ya. Peace. Peace, y'all.